Turn, if you would, tonight to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. As we continue our journey here in the apocalypse, this amazing book that gives us a vision of those things that are yet to come, to quote Dwight Pentecost in that book by the same title. Chapter 12 begins another long string. Actually, chapters 12 to 14 are, again, parenthetical. They fill in details that that are happening during the time of the tribulation. And so as we pick up tonight, the first six verses here in chapter 12, the woman and the child, you're going to see uh, all kinds of things begin to unfold, many of them considered to be extremely difficult to understand. Tonight, uh, being one of them, we're going to see a dragon, we're going to see a man-child, and Michael, the beast out of the sea, uh, the beast himself, the beast out of the earth. All of these incredible signs, these these pictures that we, we think about, and they're the things of science fiction movies in a lot of people's minds. But as you unlock this particular passage tonight, these first six verses... I think we'll very clearly understand why the world today uh, is racked with anti-Semitism, with a hatred towards the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, our president today spoke out on this very issue, that the world was rife with anti-Semitism, a hatred for national Israel and their people. And that is going to continue In fact, it will grow. And your Bible continues to remind us that these last days that we live in, uh, Israel will be the focus. They're going to become, in essence, the time clock that we can watch. Uh, If you have a care for such things, you know, a lot of museums have those, you know, those giant basins that are circular and they're shaped like a funnel and you can start with a penny in the corner and you flick it and get it started And it's amazing how long and how many circles it can make around that basin before it finally starts to wobble and and loses traction, loses the the grip of gravity by centrifugal force as it turns in a circle, spins and then drops into the hole. Uh, If you were to look at time in relation to where the Lord is and his return, uh, we're on the last couple of laps around the bowl. We're, We're near that time when... The world starts to wobble, and and things become very clear. And tonight we have this picture of this great sign that will appear in heaven. And that peace that right now evades Jerusalem, though we pray for it, we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Though we pray for it, the answer to it is the Prince of Peace himself when he sets his feet on Mount Zion, when he returns to rule and reign in righteousness over this earth. And so as we turn our attention to the word of God, let's pray and ask the Lord that he would speak to us through it. Again, Father God, we have come as your children that we might hear from you. And as we open your word, as we study these words on page to us, Lord, they are life. Lord, they're the ability for us to know what lies ahead. And so, God, we pray that you would instruct us as we study. Pray that our hearts would be open to receive. Lord, you'd set aside our preconceptions, our thoughts, the strange things that we may wonder that we might hear from heaven. We bless you. 
We ask you to now speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation 12, And now a great sign appeared in heaven. And this great sign is going to be fairly easy for us to discern. So please hang on. Keep your eyes on the word here. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great and fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her, the child, as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and in his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should, be, they should feed her there for 1,260 days. And so at first glance at a casual reading when the average person with little limited uh, biblical knowledge picks up that passage, they're like, okay, woman, child, stars, moon, dragons, you're out of your mind. There's no way in the world that we can know who this is. But I tell you, if you misinterpret this particular passage of Scripture, I think you're going to miss completely what the Lord is trying to say. And if you read it with biblical eyes, if you see it for what it is, if you understand what's being said here, then you will understand exactly why yet today our world is largely anti-Semitic. Why the world still has a hatred for national Israel. And once again, as I've said before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. We'll turn again to the Bible to find out how to interpret this. And so it begins here with a great sign. The word sign is the, is the word Simeon. And it's used 77 times uh, throughout the New Testament. And it generally means an object set forth or an action done to accredit a person or an utterance. In other words, it's something that's done to validate something else. That the thing itself is not what you need to focus on, but what it means is what you need to focus on. So a sign is something that when we see it, it actually has another meaning. It isn't necessarily that we need to understand simply this is a dragon or that these are moon and stars, but there is a simeon given to us. An example of this would be the Lord and his miracles that were done on this earth. And as you think on that, you can turn to John 20 if you'd like. There are verses 30 and 31. And it says they're using the same word, Simeon. And truly Jesus did many other signs, Simeon's. 
in the presence of his disciples. Remember why Jesus did those signs, why he did those things that were at times miraculous, certainly were strange and unique, certainly things that your average person would not and could not do. He did those signs as testifying miracles to his power and who he was. So when someone questioned his Godhead, who he was, that he was God, that they could turn to those signs and when, hey, we saw him turn the water into wine. We know that Lazarus was dead and yet he is alive to this day. We were there, we witnessed it. So those signs were attesting to truth. And so here as we see this word used in the book of Revelation, there is a great sign. Jesus did those things and it says there that there were things that were done that are not written in the book or this book, which is the Bible. But these that are written were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so there's truth in those signs that were done. They testified of the validity of Jesus Christ's lordship. Here in Revelation, we see again a great sign, this word speaking of God's plans that are set in motion. They're illustrated for us in this picture of a woman. She's clothed in the sun, the moon, a garland of 12 stars, and all kinds of fanciful things have been said about this particular passage. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church views this as the Virgin Mary. Uh, But as we will absolutely see, this is not the woman Mary. There is no possible way, because it's too descript in other portions of it. If you understand some of the foundings of Christian science, which by the way is neither Christian nor scientific, It is an oxymoron, but Mary Baker Eddy believed that she was this woman and that the child was, in fact, Christian science. Also not true. Others say this woman is actually us, the church. But we have a big problem because the church is the virgin bride of Christ and this one's going to give birth to children. And so it's very clear that it must be some other child. Proper principle of interpretation, biblical hermeneutics. When you find something used for the first time in Scripture, it is the basis for understanding it in all other cases, unless there is something unique to the usage that gives you additional insight to where you can say, this is not how you interpret it here. And so we can turn into our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, and we can begin to see... Uh, how we can best look at this. And you know the story. Idioms, symbols used in the the book of Revelation very much. We we can use the book of Daniel to help us. We can use the book of Ezekiel to help us. We can use the book of Isaiah. And we will now use the book of Genesis to help us understand these things. You remember in Genesis 37, there's animosity that grows between Joseph and his brothers. And for some reason, Jacob, their father, loves Joseph more than all the other sons. And he favors Joseph. The brothers knew it. And that hatred had grown. And so now to top it all off, Jacob comes along and gives him the world's first hippie tie-dyed coat. And so he's wearing this thing around like, check it out, dad loves me more than you. 
and he's wearing it, you know what happens. They begin to just seethe with anger. They boil over into action. And, and he's put in a pit and sold into slavery. In verse 5 here in Genesis 37, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. It's bad enough that you got the hippie tie-dyed Nero jacket from dad, but now you're going to have dreams. We don't have dreams. You're having dreams. And as you listen to Joseph's dream, you begin to get the picture. Joseph's first dream was as follows. Notice verse 7. And there we were, whole family, binding sheaves in the field. And then behold, my sheaf, Joseph, arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. Now, in, in, in brotherly love, that's a way to get a whooping. It's like, my sheaf beats your sheaf. Well, you're going to get a beat down for your sheaf. But his dream didn't stop there. He dreamed another dream. If that weren't bad enough, notice verse 9. And then he dreamed still another dream. And told it to his brothers. Now, I, I kind of, you have to wonder about his intelligence of telling his brothers these things. But then he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So with him, how many stars are there? Twelve. We don't have to guess what the sun, the moon, and the stars represent here in Genesis 37. Jacob interprets it, verse 10. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So Jacob tells us that these symbols, the sun, the moon, the stars, represent Jacob himself and all of the children of Israel. So the picture here in Revelation is none other than the children of Israel, the nation Israel, God's chosen people. The woman clothed in the sun, the moon, the stars... Now we can begin to look at this correctly. Now the rest of these things, when you think about it, because we know who was birthed out of national Israel, amen? Your King of kings, your Lord of lords, our Savior Jesus was a Hebrew. He was Jewish. He was of the 12 tribes. And so important was that fact that we have the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, Matthew 1, Luke 3, that remind us exactly of how important that was. Jesus is brought forth. You see, he had that Jewish blood. Hebrews 7 verse 14 says this, the first portion, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. You, you, You see, Jesus is the issue here in Revelation. And so as you look at the, at the rest of the passage, now it begins to unwind for us and it becomes clearer 
In Malachi chapter 4, speaking to the nation Israel, God says this, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing on his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. In other words, he's going to come out of you, and he, he is going to bring forth the truth into your life. But as the nation Israel was at that time travailing, the nation Israel was in pain. The nation Israel to this day remains in pain. But during that time, they were under the Roman oppression. And so as that time began, as as the nation begins to be birthed, as Jesus uh, was was becoming on coming onto the scene, uh, there was a force that was arrayed against him. And our passage reminds us of this truth. Notice it says there in verse 3, back in Revelation 12, And another sign appeared in heaven, a great and fiery dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven seven diadems on its heads. That's not the first time we've seen those signs, family. They're from Daniel. They're repeated Some of them in Ezekiel. Isaiah reminds us of the basic truth. And with his tail he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and to devour her child as soon as it was born. How do we know who this is? Well, we know the character of Satan. Amen? He's absolutely a slanderer. He is the adversary. He is the destroyer. He is the one who has been a murderer from the beginning, exactly as John 8, 44 declares. So this second sign, as we look at this first sign and how they tie together, out of national Israel, out of the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from Jacob comes the 12 tribes, one of them Judah. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who did Satan immediately at his birth attempt to destroy? None other than Jesus. And so these empires of the world that are described here are, are going to continue until the very last day And as you read specifically Daniel's prophetic view of this time, there would be how many empires? Seven world empires that would rise on the scene. We begin with Egypt, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and finally a revived Roman empire that would rise up and throughout all of their history, from the very beginning to this very day, there would be one problem that they would have. And that would be the one child who was born, the son who was given. The one whose government would be upon his shoulders, who would be called the Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You you see, Satan's been trying to destroy Jesus since day one. And he will continue to do that until the very end. And he'll set up what we affectionately call, if you want to call it that, the new world order. He's going to bring on the scenes, and we'll see this in the later chapters here in Revelation. This revived Roman Empire that will come back. There was Roman persecution then. There is still, in essence, Roman persecution today. And I want to be careful how I say this, because I'm not specifically calling out the Roman Catholic Church, but I am calling out the Roman system that is the Roman Catholic Church. 
There is a direct link between that new world order, the European Union, and all of the things that we see that will one day be arrayed against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It will be a one world government. And right now, if you follow what Pope Francis is saying, he is the world's largest advocate of can't we all just get along. Now, if you believe the gospel, the true gospel, the answer to that is, in essence, we can't in a salvation sense because there's only one name under heaven whereby all men may be saved. We just looked at that. And so in that sense, When you have an ecumenical movement that tries to draw together all of the world religions and make them one big happy family, when you take Muslims and you take Buddhists and you take people who practice Shintoism and animists and humanists and secular humanists and all of these groups of people and you draw them together, you're going to have to toss out, guess what? The gospel. Because that's the thing that divides everyone. That one central truth is the problem. Who is the center of the gospel? Jesus Christ. And so that new world order that will come, that is in the works even now, not meant to scare you, but this has been coming for a long, long time. Back in 2002, we began to see glimpses of some of the things that were going on behind the scenes in the world. Probably some of you have heard of it, but there is a worldwide computer program known as Echelon. Echelon is a massive data mining computer system. That system is collecting all of your phone records. It has been for a long time. It was actually invented shortly after the Cold War in the late 1960s. It was denied by our own government for over 20 years till finally someone who worked in the NSA, the National Security Administration, finally leaked it out that, in fact, the government was scanning every phone call, every text. If you think that your information is safe, you are loopy. So just get over it. They've been collecting that stuff for decades. That's not new news. And, in fact, that is the reason that in 2013, they opened up a brand spanking new facility 20 miles outside of Salt Lake City. That facility is well over a million square feet, and it has 100,000 square feet of nothing but servers. It uses on the order of about 1.7 million gallons of water a day just to cool that server farm, and it collects every single bit of satellite-transmitted data, phone transmission data that is transmitted around the world 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you think your information's safe, think again. It's the beginnings of the new world order. It's the beginnings of that empire that the Antichrist one day will use to bring about this coalition of not just governments, but of religion and of monetary system. Then add in the world monetary system, the world bank, the United Nations, and you get the picture. The enemy wants to do away with, you see, if he can bring all of us together that way, we can just get rid of this Jesus guy. We don't need the gospel. We can all be one happy family that's lost. That programs, that 
staggering. You can just do a Google search yourself. It's in, it's in uh, Bluffdale, Utah. Look at the building. I've got pictures of it up there. It's pretty amazing. You see, those things the enemy wants to use. He's been after Jesus since day one. Don't delude yourself. The stars and the dragon's tails. Let's look at these guys. Speaking of the dragon, it says, Now his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So who do those stars represent? We know that in many cases, the stars of heaven are references to angelic beings. Amen? So a third of the stars of heaven, likely a third of all of the angels of heaven. Angels, remember, are created beings. They can be in one place at one time. Satan is the same thing. He is a created, he was a cherub. He was one of the highest orders of angels. And so he also is not omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. Now he can get from place to place really quick. But he is not Christ's equal. He's a created being. I believe these stars are fallen angels. Ezekiel chapter 28, Lucifer, created by God, anointed cherub, in charge of the heavenly realm. He's literally part of that heavenly chorus, in charge of it. In Isaiah 14, we learn of his pride that caused him to fall. And in that prideful fall, it says there that he took a third of the angels with him. And so Revelation bears witness to that truth. Now you wonder why we have the demonic forces in the world that we have. If one third of all of the angels that God has ever created fell with Satan, that's a whole bunch. Like man, angels have free will. They can choose whom they're going to serve. We need absolutely to be wise to their devices. But we also need to know that they have limitations. They cannot do everything and they are no match for God. So don't fret. Remember, greater is he who's in you, amen, than he who's in this world. But like any good general, Satan doesn't have to do everything himself. He's got minions. He can send out his forces, the demonic forces, and they have purpose to rebellion. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that there is an innumerable company of angels but they can't be numbered. So however many there are, one-third of them are not the good guys. The good news, two-thirds of them are the good guys. Amen? Amen. So we even have the larger force. Don't freak out. Remember when Jesus asked those demonic spirits, he's he's speaking to this man who's demon-possessed in Yardinus. He says, tell me, what's your name? Remember what he said? My name is Legion, for we are many. He was speaking about that concept that the demonic forces of this world are numerous. So make no mistake about it. Satan has his army. And so we will see as we get to the next study, as we bear down on this chapter. There's going to be a war that's going to break out in heaven. Interesting little fact for you. You'll notice in the book of Job in the first chapter, it seems to be that Satan can come and go. Somehow he's quarantined in heaven. 
but he actually has the ability to, to go back to heaven. Now, the, basically, I think what it must be is that God keeps him at arm's length because no evil can dwell in the presence of God. But we're going to find out there's going to be a war in heaven. And all this coming and going is going to end. And God's going to send every last one of that demonic host right back here to earth. And all hell is going to break loose here. When you look at the world today, you'd say, well, it happened last year. You look at the stock market, it seems like, wow, it's going on now. But things will continue to ramp up as we get closer to the end. All of this family of God began back in the garden. This is not new news. This is old news. Very old news. As old as humankind news. You want to turn there, Genesis chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 14. Satan's always been against God's plan. And he continues to this day. We see him in our passage tonight in Revelation 12. Notice that he's after this child that's going to be born to pounce on him the very second he's born. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14, And so the Lord God said to the serpent, We, we find God speaking to the serpent, same dragon, because you have done this. What has he done? He's deceived Eve. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've engaged in that which God did not want for them. You were cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Guess who the woman is? It's not just Eve. It's the same woman we find In Revelation chapter 12, between you and your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so we get a picture here of the battle that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. God had a plan to redeem mankind. It would come through Eve. That child that would be born, the son who would be given. And you can look at Satan's line of attack and what is the very next thing that happens. You can simply go a couple chapters down and here's Cain. The murder of Abel. You you see, I'll wipe out the godly side and the ungodly side can take over. Problem with that. Oops, Eve had another son. His name was Seth. Seth gives birth, Noah and his family. God preserves the righteous line yet again. It says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, He was a just man, speaking of Noah, perfect in his righteousness, and Noah walked with God. So here's Satan's plan. I'll get Adam and Eve. I'll try and destroy them. Can't get them. I'll get their kids. That doesn't work because another one is born, Seth. The godly lineage continues. Satan's plan foiled. You get to Moses. Remember what happened to Moses? Instead of Moses, you know, instead of him having the life that he should have lived, Exodus chapter 1, when you do the duties of a midwife, 
for the Hebrew women, and you see them on their birth stools. If it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, he shall live. And so what happens? The son, who would also be the progenitor of Jesus, is taken into Pharaoh's house. Satan's trying to destroy the lineage of Jesus. God preserves that lineage. Foiled again. It just goes on and on. And not only that, but Moses' own mother is paid to nurse the child and care for him. Isn't God good? Amen? Satan, you got nothing. During the time of King Esther, King Ahasuerus, king over Persia, representing Satan, tries to destroy the Jews at the hand of Haman. Haman, in chapter 3 of Esther, saw that Mordecai did not bow and pay homage to him, and Haman was filled with wrath, and he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him the people of Mordecai were against him, and instead Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. What ends up happening there? He hangs on his own gallows. Satan's been after Jesus since day one. Always has been, always will be. The seed of the woman. The one who would come from the Jewish lineage. Be of the tribe of Judah. By the time we get to the New Testament, Paul in Galatians 3.16 in fact tells us this, and now to Abraham and his seed were promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one to your seed who is Christ. Amen? Amen? All the way through thousands of years of persecution. Six and a half thousand of them today. You remember when the wise men were warned in the dream. Herod in Matthew chapter 2, it says this of him. And when they saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he set forth to put to death all of the male children. You see it again. Who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under. He says, I'm going to make sure none of them live. I'm going to kill even the, the toddlers. According to the time which had been determined by the wise men. But before he could destroy the seed of the woman, Herod himself would die. God's had it under control the whole time. Satan's plan has been foiled. And by the time you get back to the book of Genesis, Satan was going to bruise the heel of Christ. He bruised the heel of Christ. How did he do that? It's called the cross. You see, because our Savior is still alive. Amen? Just prove, he, didn't, he didn't kill him. Gave him three days off from us. And during that time, he went and set the captives free that had been kept in Sheol, busy about his father's business. But Satan couldn't keep him. Matter of fact, David prophesied that very thing. There in Psalm 16, the grave, Sheol, could not keep him. Hallelujah. Satan's been after Jesus the whole time. And because of that, he hates the Jewish people. So why is he still trying to destroy them? That's the question that I often get asked. It's the one that's 
kind of on people's minds right now. Why is there anti-Semitism in the world? Because I believe that ultimately, once we're out of here, once the church is gone, who do you think is going to be petitioning for the return of the Lord? The same people that have been petitioning for the Messiah for the last several thousand years. The Jewish people. They're going to be crying out for Messiah. You see, Hosea was right. Chapter 5. For I will return again into my place until they acknowledge their offense. And then they will seek my face. And in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. That's speaking of the last days. The Jewish people begin to cry out. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has been stricken, but he will bind us up. Hosea was saying, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. That's why Paul would write to his own people, the Jewish people. And he would say there in Romans 11, one day all Israel will be saved. Jesus, speaking of that day and time in Matthew 23 Verse 39, for I say to you, you shall come to me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, the Jewish people are still crying out for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as blind as they may be, which by the way is only going to be until the times of the Gentiles have been completed. Amen? So we're done. We will have had our day. The Lord will sound that trump. We're going to... If we're here, we're alive and remain, we're out of here to meet him in the air. But God still has a heart for his people. He made a promise to them. I will redeem you back, says the Lord. And he's going to do that very thing still. The whole world may be coming unglued and Satan has been after the Jewish people. Why do you think the Holocaust happened? There was no military reason for the Holocaust. You're going to take a bunch of poverty-stricken Jewish people who live in the ghettos of Warsaw and there's some military threat? That's insane. The reason that Hitler set himself upon the Jewish people was he was filled with the rage of Satan. He was satanic. That's why. And so Satan pressed that into him. But Jesus is coming back. In his first coming, he was born to die. But in his second coming, he's born to rule. Notice verse 5. And she bore a male child. Now it becomes pretty clear who that male child is, doesn't it? And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations. And the government of the of his government, there shall be no end. Amen. All nations will one day bow. How many knees will bow one day? All knees will bow to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow, whether on this earth, in heaven, or below this earth. One day, every last knee will bow. You can do it now and be saved, or you can do it later and be lost. But he will come again to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And that represents the rule of strength. 
He came last time as the lamb. He's coming next time as the lion, folks. He's going to come as a conquering king, a mighty warrior. And he will fight the fight that he's been holding off fighting for all these millennia. And he will deal the death blow, the final death blow to the end of the reign of Satan. All of his armies will be defeated at the battle of Armageddon. And her child was caught up. Notice this. Where is Jesus? He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it say? The male child who was born, who will rule all nations with the rule of iron. Her child was caught up to God at his throne. Very clear that the woman, the child, is none other than the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. And the child that's being spoken of is one very specific child, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He was born to die the first time, but not so when he comes back the next time. Psalm 2 completes that picture for us, that he would rule the nations with the rod of iron. It says there in verse 7 of Psalm 2, For I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So the whole world is the inheritance of none other than Jesus Christ. He is the rightful deed holder of this earth. This planet's his. Satan's been allowed for a time to have rush shot over it, but it doesn't belong to him. And one day our King Jesus is coming back to take it out of his hands. Put him where he belongs. I will give you those nations into the ends of the earth for your possession, and you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like the potter's vessel. You see, one day when Jesus comes back, as Matthew 24 speaks to us, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of God coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Amen? Right now, the world's trying to say, well, you know, we really don't need this Jesus thing. Not so interested in being a Christian. You know, if I could just have the good stuff, and I hear that a lot. It's just like, well, I, you know, I want, the, I want the, you know, the peaceful, easy feeling, to quote the Eagles song. But you can't have that without knowing the Prince of Peace. It's impossible. You can't have it. It's not for sale. It doesn't come from sitting down with a counselor and having him work out all of your past lives. Your past lives are just as dead as your first ones. And they're going to be as dead as your last one. It's only the eternal life that we have in Christ that matters and lasts. Amen? But God has always and God will always protect the nation Israel. It's why he reminds us that those who are for them are for God. If you are against them, you are against God. Scripture makes that very clear. One of the things that troubles me about the political climate in our world, it seems as though every vile thing can be done everywhere in every way, in every place, and and yet somehow to come to the aid of this tiny little nation of 8 million people is somehow uh, a problem. The whole world ought to be rallying around Israel. I'd be telling the whole rest of the world, stay out of their business. They have the, not only do they have the right to exist, they're God's people. Might want to think about that. 
verse 6 as we close tonight. And then the woman fled to the wilderness, and I I believe this is a, a specific place, and though there is some debate about it, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. And of course, you can see that that's the final three and a half years of the tribulation, the very worst of it. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says much the same thing, that they will flee into the wilderness after the abomination of the desolation takes place. Thus, after the Antichrist rebuilds the temple and demands to be worshipped as God, the Jews are going to flee for their lives. They're not going to be able to flee very far. Think of it. Where might they go? It's possible that one of the answers may well be the the rock city of Petra. Why do we think that? Because Isaiah 16 kind of reminds us, as does Daniel 11, those attacks would come and that somehow Moab and Ammon would be spared from the attacks of the Antichrist. Moab and Ammon are both in Jordan. That is the home of the Amorites. That's where they dwell. Interestingly enough, the the Wadi Musa, where Petra is located, is also the place where Lawrence of Arabia stored all these troops before he launched his attack on the Anvil of the Sun. When he took Aqaba, that's where they stationed themselves. Very isolated, very hidden if you've seen any of the Indiana Jones movies, you've seen it. Uh, that is not, you know, that's the rock city of Petra. It's a very interesting place. Uh, the Sikh there, if you can see it in the, in the lower uh, right hand, my right hand corner, your left hand corner. Uh, in most places, it's only 10, 15 feet wide. It opens up into an extremely broad valley. And of course, we think about it in modern warfare terms. Well, you just send helicopters or whatever. But remember, God is protecting them. God has his hand on them. And it, could it be that Isaiah was correct in Isaiah 16 verses 1 through 4? Send a lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah. And Selah is the exact same word as Petra. It's another name for Petra. It means a small stone, a rock, into the wilderness, to the mount, to the daughter of Zion. In other words, the lamb is going to send someone to protect them in the wilderness of rock. Where it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. Right now, the, the nest is this tiny little country called Israel. So small that we could fit three of them here in Southern California and you'd have plenty of room to spare. And so shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. The Arnon River flows out of the same area that holds the Wadi Musa and Petra. Take counsel and execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. If you ever go to the city of Petra, you'll find out that it is so steep and so inaccessible in the middle of the day, there's shadow along almost all of it except when the sun is straight up. So in the middle of the day, it's protected from the sun. That's pretty important when you dwell in the desert. That's the reason the Nabataeans built the city there. Natural source of water that they managed to channel through all the rocks that ultimately kept the city at one time possibly as much as fifty to 60,000 people with cisterns. So you can imagine with the modern-day technology available to us, All kinds of things have been said about that city. 
Hide the outcast. Do not betray them who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Again, it's Jordan. Interestingly enough, of all of the Arab nations, Israel has the very best relationship with none other than the nation Jordan. It's not totally friendly. When you travel to Israel, one of the things you have to be wary of when you enter into the country, if you have your passport stamped, you would then be banned from every single Arab nation in the world. You'll not be allowed in. So they give you a stamp on a piece of paper so that you can take it out in case you want to go to Petra. But they're fairly friendly. There's actually a peace accord between them. Could it be? Quite possible. Shelter them from the face of the spoiler. That would be the Antichrist. For the extortioner is at an end. Notice this. The Antichrist is only going to have a little tiny bit of time in relationship to all of humankind. To the time that we've spent on this earth. The devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. You see, I believe that God will one day cause the Israelites to flee from where they currently reside. He will protect them very likely in modern-day Jordan, could extremely easily be the rock city of Petra. And there he will shield them from the, the rise of the Antichrist in those final days as his rage is poured out. Egypt and Jordan, the only two Arab nations that have normalized relations with Israel. Matter of fact, at, at times, uh, their relationship seems to be better than ours. In saying all this, the enemy's been after him. Since day one, God's been for them since day one. They're still here. I'm on God's side. It's pretty easy to figure out. It's not all that difficult. And God one day is going to pour out his vengeance on the nations that rise up against them. Isaiah 63, share this with you. Who is this who comes from Edom with his garments glowing with the colors from Basra, this one who's majestic in apparel, marching with greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads at the winepress? I have treaded the wine alone. From the peoples, there was no man with me. I also tread them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And it's stained in my raiments. This is a picture of when Jesus comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon. That's found in the book of Isaiah, by the way. That's not the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. God's been saying he would deliver out of Ammon. Out of that area, he would return from Basra. Basra is just outside the rock city of Petra. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, amen? So for those of us here tonight who know the Lord, nothing to fear, you've gained some wisdom. You've gained some of the word to take home with you so that you know why the world is like it is. This is not something that should be foreign to the body of Christ. We should know why the world hates the Jewish people. They brought forth our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Our Savior is the Messiah of the Jews. And one day they're going to see him. They're going to actually mourn him who was pierced. They'll receive Messiah. 
In the meantime, the world's going to keep on hating on them. But not so the body of Christ. We need to pray daily for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray for those who are literally trapped within their own country. We need to pray for the Arab peoples around them because they're in deception as well. The enemy has them. He's crafty, he's wily, just as scripture says. But here's the good news. To as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the ability to become the sons of God. There's an answer to it. Receive Christ and be saved. And if you're tonight and you have not ever done that, you need to come to know Jesus because he's the only way whereby man can be saved. There is no other name under heaven. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee one day will bow. Share that with your friends, your family. Take a look at those things that are going on in our world. Say, you know what? I, I, I just wanted to show you something in my Bible. It freaks them out. Serious as a heart attack. You take your Bible and you start talking to people about world events. Have you ever heard of Echelon? Ever heard of the New World Order? You ever wonder what that's about? Well, you know, I have a book that talked about that, and it was written 2,000 years ago. And then see what they say. Just tell them, here's the good news. You don't need to be around when this stuff happens. You can give your life to Christ and be saved. Amen? Going to have some pastors come forward, worship teams coming back up. Does he come forward if you're here tonight? And that message at the cross has resonated. That's why Jesus came. That's why Satan's fought so hard. Satan has fought so hard to try and destroy Christ because he is the answer to what ails us. He's the cure for our sin problem and the result of our sin problem, which is death. The reason people die is sin. Anybody ever ask you why you're going to die? You just tell them sin. That's what your Bible says. We're all going to die one day. The good news is, is if we die in him, we live forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight in your word. Lord, encourage and strengthen us. God, we know what lies ahead. We've been given a glimpse into the future. And so, Lord, we should be busy doing something with what we know. So, God, I pray for those of us here tonight that know you and love you and have been serving you, that we'd serve you with a whole heart. We'd endeavor to do even greater things with our lives for your kingdom than we've ever done in the past. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here tonight, maybe they're not walking with you. Maybe they know you. Maybe at some point in time they committed their life to you. But they're here tonight and they've been wandering in the wilderness. They were just like the children of Israel. And it's been a dry and a dusty land. It's been a land without water. It's been a land where they've had to scrape for bread. God, tonight, by your spirit, would you move in this place? God, your your word says, if we will confess you before men, that you will confess us before the Father who's in heaven. If, If we ask you, you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that door is open. Our hearts are are inclined towards you, and I pray, Lord, there's anybody here tonight that's never professed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would come forward and do that tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word.
Thank you for the encouragement it is. We see how you've been victorious from the dawn of time. You fought for us, and we're still here, and you still have a plan. So bless us with that encouragement tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.